Hi and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you are currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at either our 10am or 4pm service. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this great message from Sunday service. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to preach for a few minutes and I've called it One More Thing. One more thing. Matthew chapter 14. Let's start there, hey? Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. I think we've got it on the screen. You can probably follow along. It says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, broke the loaves, and then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 besides the men, uh, besides the women and the children. You might be familiar with that, perhaps, if you've been around church for a while. It's one of Jesus' most public miracles. And what a great miracle, free food. You know, what a win. Everyone loves free food. I mean, he goes for seafood, so that's a challenge. I would have done like sausage in bread or something, you know. That would have been a lot simpler, less, less issue with food poisoning, um, especially back then without refrigeration. But he does this mighty miracle and, and feeds all these people and, and something great is recorded. But, but ha- maybe we've never considered that there's actually a backstory to this story. Maybe we've never thought about it, but I think when we look at the backstory to this, it'll change the way you see the miracle. And it'll help us realize how this can apply to our own life and situations in maybe a different or powerful way. In fact, right before the miracle of the loaves and fishes, something full on happened. And we read about it in the verses prior. We started in verse 13, but we need to jump now back to the start of the chapter and read about the backstory. What this happens on the back of will give us insight as to this happening itself. So if we go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 1, we can read this backstory. It says in chapter 14, verse 1 to 12, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodotus, his brother, Philip's wife. But John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her as your wife. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they'd considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodotus danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. I don't know what this kid was watching. 
that it was bad. This is an epic failure on mum's part. Um, you know, I mean, I've had my kid, we've had our boys be embarrassing in a restaurant, you know, eat a bit messy or them. Never have they asked for a severed head. Um, that's it's just another level. So that's what this one wants. And the king was distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests and he didn't want to be embarrassed. So he ordered that a request be granted and had John's beheaded in prison, his head brought in on a platter and given to the girl. That's a crazy scene. That is like, like we're talking a severed head here. If this were a movie, this would be R-rated. It would have like extreme violence, disturbing scenes. And this head gets served on a plate. She gives it to her mum. And then this is verse 12. It says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. You see, this gives us insight into what happens next. Because we see, what did Jesus do? He just heard about John, his friend, being beheaded and the head being given. And then these disciples have to go and grab. You, you, can you imagine what a body has been locked in a Roman prison and has been beheaded? And you've got to go in and physically get the body and dig a hole and bury the body? That's a traumatic experience. This is, and this isn't just a random body. If that was just someone in the street, that would be disturbing enough if it was your friend. This is gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And what does Jesus do? He withdraws. No, I say, well, well why? why? Why did Jesus run away? Why did he withdraw? Well, he was human. Jesus felt pain. He, he felt frustration. He felt hurt. I would imagine Jesus withdrew and probably sobbed his eyes out somewhere. I mean, the disciples, they, they would have been damaged. They would have been hurt, disappointed, confused. And Jesus, he too, he felt, he knows. You know, the good part of this is whatever we're going through, Jesus knows. He's felt disappointment. He's been to the space where he goes, I just need to withdraw for a minute. That's why Hebrews calls him a faithful high priest. And sometimes we're doing life and we think no one knows, no one feels God does. Jesus knows what you're facing. He's been there. He's felt it. He's cried the tears. He's, he's had to look the disciples in the eye and share the bad news. And Jesus withdraw and the, the poor disciples, they, they, they would have felt disempowered and hopeless and like out of control. Would have caught the disciples by surprise. Here they are following. Well, we're following Jesus. Why is this bad stuff going on? John was like the guy Jesus said. He was the special dude. He was the guy that was going to make stuff happen. Jesus said no one's greater than him. And now we're, we're dragging his body and burying it without a head. What's going on? And I suppose it's good to consider, well, what did Jesus do? He withdrew, yes, but then this great miracle happens. How did Jesus go from here to here? How did he hear news like that and be part of a scene and an experience? And yet we reach verses 13 on. How does that happen? Well, I want to explain what Jesus did next. He withdrew, yes. He, he went on his own, and it told, told us that at the start. But you want to know where Jesus went? He went 
to prayer. He went to prayer. He went to go talk with God about what was going on. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't go to Twitter. Hashtag my head with John's. You know, like he didn't, he didn't jump on and do some social media rant. He, he didn't go to the marketplace and get everyone's opinion on what's happening. He didn't go find a guru to try and help him sort through what's going on. He didn't go to Facebook and have a rant. He, he didn't go to the corner square and denounce the evil Herod and start a new political party and, and just decide, well, I'm going to go and change. This won't happen. He, I'm glad he didn't head to the pub for the night. Might not have had a miracle the next morning. Could have had a headache instead. I'm glad Jesus didn't just go to the pub because life got tough. He didn't pull back from his relationship with God. He leaned forward into it. And so Jesus, first and foremost, he did what was his constant custom and tradition and pattern. He went first to prayer. Can I encourage you? You need that pattern in your life because when life happens, if you don't have it as a habit, it's a whole lot harder. If you can be with God when times are good, it's a lot easier to be with Him when times are bad. If you wait till life is tough to try and form that relationship with God, it's going to be harder. It's going to be a bigger challenge. He, he, Jesus had this custom of prayer. And so when life slapped Him around, He went first to prayer. And He engaged with heaven. And this is really important because when life happens, there, we, we have all kinds of responses, don't we? We have all kinds of responses. We have human responses. Because we are human and we feel and know and, and sense things. We have emotional responses. But we have logical and illogical responses, don't we? We have you know, rational responses. There are political responses. There are circumstantial responses. There are all these different options of response. But what we need in the midst of it, most of all, is a God response. When life comes in and we didn't expect it, we didn't see it, we don't understand it, we need a God response, a biblical response. And, and any of those other responses, they need to be subject to the God response. I'm not saying we don't feel things, we don't react, we don't respond, but I'm saying all of those things must be brought in line with a God response. And the place to get your God response is in prayer. Jesus went first to prayer. He went to God's presence. And this is honestly, church, this is the same no matter what we face. You, you could be talking about a hurt. You could be talking about something that shocks you and that you just don't see coming. It could be something that is disappointing and hard. It could be a personal issue. It could be a, a finance issue. It could be a, a, a health issue. Can I encourage you? Jesus' example, which is our ultimate example as believers, is when something came in, he went first to prayer. He went first to a place of engaging with God. And what we are responsible for as believers, we're not responsible for the things that come into our life, but we are responsible for how we respond. And that response needs to be biblical and godly. It needs a God element and we'll find that in prayer. And I can tell you, I've been pastoring for many years as well, just like your Pastor James and Paula and and I've seen many things and I've experienced lots of things in my life. They've come in and there have been confusing times. There have been sad times. There have been excited. There have all the different times. There are, there are places that I have found myself in, situations I have been in that not in a million years would I have ever guessed that I would find myself there. But can I tell you, in the midst of all those things, life happens. That's just the way it is. And if you haven't had something come left to field... 
I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but it's coming. If I just stand up here and tell you it's all bearing Skittles and running through the, you know, nice feelings, that's not life. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean life is easy. It does mean it's best. But best and easy are not the same word or definition. But, but there will be times where things come in and, and as a pastor, you just, you, you long to see people press into God, not run away from God. Because I've seen both and I know where the paths lead. And the ones that run to God find him as a shepherd. They end up through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is our ultimate example and he went to prayer first. And, and this is consistent with the rest of scriptures. Philippians 4 verses 6 to 9. What a great passage. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So whatever it is we're facing, this applies. In every situation, with thanksgiving, uh, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, which goes beyond, which, which exists on a higher level than our own understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying it's part of God's manual. And, and, and I can't predict what's coming your way, but I can give you the biblical answer to what to do when it comes. I can give you Jesus' example, and that will help get us through the storm. You see, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the challenge of death for not knowing a king's dream and the interpretation, I mean, talk about coming out of left field. Imagine waking up to a rude knock on your door. You sort of stagger out. It's a bit early, and you're like, Hello? They're like, yes, messages from the king. Great, can I help you? You certainly can. You can tell us the king's dream last night and the interpretation or I'm going to cut off your head and kill your family and burn you down to the ground in this house. Oh, oh hang on, mate. It's like not even eight in the morning. Like this, this is unreasonable. It was unreasonable. It's totally impossible. Talk about circumstances. Who could have picked that the night before? And yet, you know what they did first? It wasn't like, uh-oh, run. It, was, it wasn't a petition. It wasn't an email chain. It wasn't a Facebook. Or a, no, no. They said, you know what? And let me read it. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. You need good friends sometimes. Yeah. People that when, when the king wants your head, they'll pray with you. You know, when life's not so cool, you need people that are good friends. Hannah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for the mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery. First point of call. He went and found three good mates that loved God and said, hey, we're in a bind. We can better pray. Wouldn't that be great when life comes your way? Have you, here's, here's a challenge. It's not in my notes. But have you got three mates that you could go to and say, you know what? It, stuff's hitting the fan. I need some guys with me. And they go, great, let's pray. Because if all your mates would suggest, well, let's go to the pub or let's do this, maybe you need to invest in some new friendships. These guys, they go first to prayer. What about Esther? When her people face genocide, we, I mean, we're looking at what's going on in Ukraine and we've seen genocide around the world at different times. And even in the last 50 years, we've seen how horrible things happen. They were on the edge of genocide. What's the first thing Esther does? Calls people to prayer and fasting. Prayer. First port of call is prayer. Church, can I encourage you to let your first response be to go to prayer. Form a, a relationship with God that when you need to pray, you know how to get there. 
Have a place where you pray. Engage with heaven. And here's the next thing. He, he, he went to prayer, but, but I love the fact that Jesus didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. I mean, how, I, last night, I slept awesome. No kids. Life was great. You know, I love a good night's sleep. And if you are so used to having a good night's sleep, you should just have children. And then you'll appreciate sleep like the rest of us. Uh, you know, you, you got kids and it's just crazy. I love, I love a good night's sleep. In fact, I love sleep so much that waking up is not a problem because it's another chance to go back to sleep. You know, like people say, hey, I woke up at five o'clock. Awesome. You get another like chance to go back to sleep. It's like nine o'clock all over again. How good is this? I love it so much that it, it, for a little period, I went cotton chipping. I don't know if anyone here is familiar with cotton chipping, but, but it's like one level below above hell. Um, it kind of sits in that on what you do with your life. And I was chipping these weeds and we'd have to get up at like 3 a.m. and get on a boat. It was just it was a terrible two weeks. Very disorganized. I ate hot sardines and hot red cordial. It was just, life was bad. But when I finished, you know what? I'd go home and I actually still set my alarm to three just so I could tell that alarm to shut up. It'd go off and I'd go, not today. <laughs> just another chance to get back to sleep. I like, I, I like sleep. I like, but, but here's the deal with sleep. The idea is to eventually wake up. Because if you go to sleep and you do not wake up, you are either dead or in a coma. And neither of those are great options. So you go to sleep, but you actually go to sleep so that you can wake up. That's kind of the end goal of going to sleep. It's what you do in your waking hours that gives purpose to life, not so much what you think about at night while your eyes are closed. It's what we do. And the idea of prayer is just the same. We should go to prayer. It should be our first response. But then prayer should lead us to getting up and giving a God response. A prayer time should lead to actions, should lead to words, should lead to living that brings life, that reaches people with the gospel, that brings hope, that brings blessing, that brings encouragement to people, that brings help to people, that brings strength. Prayer should lead us to a response that fulfills the mission that God left us with, which is go into all the world and make disciples. And that's what happens. This, this is what happens in the story. That one minute they're burying the body of their friend. Next minute they're bringing revival to a city. Why? Because they went to prayer and prayer should always lead us to action. Imagine if Jesus had decided that he just hide away and pray for the rest of his life. You know what? That really hurt. I'm very upset. Blow this mission thing. I'm just going to pray. I just need the presence. And if all he did was pray for the rest of his life, he, he wouldn't, A, have had one of the most public miracles ever recorded. He wouldn't have gone to the cross. if he. But, I mean, prayer is great, but prayer leads to stuff. Did you know all the great moments in Jesus' life, they were preceded by prayer, but they didn't happen in prayer. Let, let's look at it. Jesus launched his ministry, but he did it after 40 days of prayer and fasting. I'm glad he didn't do three years of prayer and fasting. Because that would have been a pretty useless exercise. 
He did 40 days, then he got up and he acted. He launched a ministry. He chose 12 disciples that founded the church and were the fathers. What did he do? He did it after a night of prayer, but he didn't start there praying, hoping that disciples would drop out of the sky and land in his lap. And He went out and then made the disciples, picked them. He prayed and he acted. He ministered to crowds and he did mighty works. He would pray, but then he would come down and he would see he went to the cross to fulfill his mission after a night of prayer. I'm glad he didn't just pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, but then he actually did what the prayer was all about. Prayer ought to lead us to action. Prayer ought to lead us to a response. We we must have times of prayer, but we have times of prayer so that we can come out and we can act in faith. That's what prayer does. You go in there not knowing, confused, upset, maybe can't see an answer. Prayer builds the faith in your life so you can actually come back out and attack that thing head on with courage and faith and boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit. I love prayer. Prayer is essential to who I am as a believer and everything that I do in my life. But if I stayed in my prayer closet and never got out and acted, I've missed the point of prayer. I've gone to sleep and stayed in a coma. Who knows? We don't need Christians in a coma right now. We need Christians out there that are winning their neighbours, reaching their families, being God in the workplace, building church, giving, sowing, participating. That's what we need. Got to pray, got to know God, got to get away with him and engage with heaven. And then that ought to cause us to step out and it ought to impact our lives and how we live. And then here's the next thing that I found, which was a result of the prayer, was a result of what he did, was it created an opportunity for miracles. It created an opportunity for miracles. And what I love about this whole story is... The disciples come and they're worried and they're stressed out and all they can see is the limitations. That's it. That's all they can see. It's like this this wall that they see. But I mean, let's be honest, they're tired. They've had a big couple of days. They just buried their friend, headless. They're dealing with all the stuff going on in their world and then Jesus takes off somewhere so they're following him and then they've been, you know, doing the stuff trying to, Make 5,000 people, keep them organized and sort things out. And it just gets, and, and then it's just like, Jesus says, well, now we've got to feed them. So I was like, flip. <laughs> really? Like, really? Do you know, like, what's just happened? Well, where is your head at, Jesus? We're tired. We're stuffed. We've had a big few days. Now is not the time to go put on a big barbecue. And what's their solution? Just send them away. Like, we've had a big rally. Church has been great. Tell them to leave. They can buy their own lunch. It's like our men's camps. I love what, you know, Paul and the women's are doing, providing soup and bowls. But we're a little bit more in line with you, James. We do men's events. And the event is great, provided you bring everything you need. I say, guys, you know, we're going camping. And if you want to join us, that's great. But B-Y-O everything. Um, and they're like, how do we get there? I'm like, I don't know, sort it out. Um, I wondered why I was the only one camping, but it was a great time. It was fantastic. Had such a wonderful few days. But they just like, send them away. Their, their, their real beef is, we can't deal with this. 
This is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is just one more thing that I don't need. There's not enough food. People are hungry. We're tired. The area is too remote. There's just limiting factors everywhere. But when Jesus hears about it, I like that he doesn't quite see it the same. He doesn't lose the plot, which would be tempting to do. How can this many adults possibly arrive here with no food? What kind of morons am I dealing with? I mean, that's, that's a bit of a human response, isn't it? I mean, I, to be honest with you, I've got to level with you. I have gone on trips and totally forgot food. I do a bit of fishing now and then, and we were doing a project with my, my brothers, and we were headed off, and we were going to a pretty remote place, and we got like 15 minutes from the destination before we realised no one had packed food. Now, we had so much gear. We had trailers and kayaks and fishing gear and everything, but we got there, and I'm like, it wasn't even us. It wasn't even any of the brothers. We were, we were fishing. But the cameraman goes, what are we eating? We're like, that's a great question. What are we eating? Did anyone bring food? And we're like, did you bring food? I'm like, no, I didn't bring food. Well, did you bring? No. We, so we had to pull over, and we were traveling with these other, this other guy, and he was super organized. He looked at our trailer and almost died of a heart attack. He's like, that is not packed. And we're like, just get in your car and drive, son. Pack for us. It's like, you got an unsecured gas bottle. We're like, have you ever secured a gas bottle? Come on, champ. Like, what's going on here? And we're like 10 minutes out. And, and he's like, and we said, hey, uh, Bracey, we've got no food. He goes, you've got no what? He said, we didn't bring any food. He's like, well, what are you going to eat? He said, that's a great question. We were going to ask you that. What are you eating? He's <laughs> like, so, mate, he's so organized. It's all like packed and stacked and packets. And we're like, how about this for a plan? We eat your food and then we'll all go into town and buy food the next day. He's like, this is a disaster. He said, welcome to fishing with us. Uh, so I have been that adult and gone to an event with no food, but I'm glad Jesus didn't get frustrated at them. He could have said, how dumb are these people? No adults brought food and they've got their kids. Irresponsible parenting. He could have looked at it and gone, typical church picnic, no one brings food. <laughs> Everyone comes for the free feed, don't they? He might have looked at the kid and thought, is that all you brought? Surely, if you're organized enough to bring food, I mean, how can there be 5,000 adults and that few administrative people in the group? <laughs> like, I count on administrative people to be thinking about things constantly. I didn't even know where I was driving this morning until we got in the car. And my wife knows where the church is. Like, how can there be 5,000 people and no admin people? Where are they? What have they done with them? They're probably all working for the Romans because they paid better. Uh, I mean, Jesus, he could have he just lost the plot. He could have got frustrated, too remote, too tired, too hungry, too many people, no food. The disciples are faithless and they're done. Jesus could have thrown his hands up, but he didn't. He knew these factors. He knew what had happened. He'd grieved John. He'd done the journey. He'd been tired himself. But you know, Jesus knew all the factors did not change God's plan. He knew all the factors did not change God's power. He knew all the factors did not change God's kingdom moving forward. And church, can I encourage you? You need to know that too. 
I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where you've been, what's happened, the journey you're on. But I can tell you it has not caught God by surprise. He, he's not shocked up there with holding a contingency meeting when some angels going to flip. Did you hear about them? When did that happen? I didn't plan that. No, no, God knows. God's there. God is ready and God is ready to do miracles. I love it because when he landed, he's seen this large crowd and he said, the Bible says he had compassion on them. He, he looked and he was tired, but he'd prayed and he thought about a God response. And then, then when people came into his world, he was ready to minister. You know what? When people come into our world, are we ready to minister? Are we prepared? I, I love the story about the baptism and the journey of getting you to being baptized. That was someone who was ready to minister when the time came. There, there, were, there were limitations, but they used those limitations. In fact, Jesus took these very limiting factors and, and, and he looked where? He looked to heaven. It's, it's a little bit of the passage, but it says Jesus looked to heaven. When, when we're tempted to look at the limiting factors and, and all we see is the limits and the problems and the whatever, can I tell you, when you pray, take your eyes off them and look to heaven for a minute. That's why when stuff's going crazy in your world, you need to be in church more, not less. You need to be surrounded by people of faith. You need to be put in an atmosphere of worship where you can take your eyes off yourself or your circumstance or the hurt or the brokenness or whatever's going on. And you can turn your eyes on. You can look to heaven for a moment. And when we look to heaven, don't look to the media. Don't look to fear. Don't look to the circumstance. Don't look to the doctor's report. Don't look at all the stuff that we want to look at. We've got to turn our eyes to heaven. And when we do that, God can fill us with faith. Don't look to your past and mistakes. Some people come and they worship, but between them and God is their past. Don't do that. Let the, let, the, let the past be the past. Let your mistakes get pushed away. Jesus looked to the heavens. He gave thanks and then he added faith to the limiting factors. And that faith brought a miracle. He, he got the touch of the Holy Spirit on what everyone else saw was a problem and he turned it into a great miracle. What is in your life that with the Holy Spirit's touch could go from a problem to a miracle? What are you facing right now? We, we might look at our lives and all we see is failure. Did you know what? God looks at your life and sees breakthrough. We, we might look at our lives and we see a circumstance that we have no control over. God looks and sees a miracle in the making. We look and see a, a situation that we don't have an answer for. And God says, perfect. If you had an answer, I couldn't do something amazing. And what we see as limiting factors, like the disciples, all they could see was limits. Jesus saw a miracle. Hey, in fact, I felt like when I was preparing that, that I had a word for someone and you're looking at your life and I get the sense that it's, it's connected to your marriage. Maybe failure in your marriage or maybe it's failing and, and, and it's all you see. And Jesus says, don't look at the failure. Look to him. God can take what you think is a disaster and the end. You, you put yourself down with it. You judge yourself on it. You limit yourself with it. And Jesus says, no, no, I can turn that into a miracle if you'll let me. There's someone here today and, and what it's going to take is you've got to take your eyes off whatever that is that you're seeing in your own life and circumstance and start to look to heaven and start to engage with God on this thing and turn it into a miracle. And in five, ten years, it can be a miracle story, not a disaster story. 
But you've got to look with the eyes of faith. And the only place to get that is in prayer. And I want to encourage someone. God says it is not over. It's a launch pad. It's not over. It's a launch pad. God still has a plan and he still has your situation in control. And, and I want you to consider Joseph in the Bible. I'm going to wrap up with this. Joseph in the Bible. He was sold as a slave to Egypt. You know, while he was in the pit, all he could see was probably the pit. There's not a lot. You probably can see a bit of sky maybe. But when he looked around, all he saw was pit. When he was being taken through the desert by caravan, by a caravan of slave traders, all he could see was chains and desert. That's all he could see. When, when, when he was in prison, all he could see was bars. He didn't have someone popping down, putting on Hillsong and praying with him every... He just, all he could see was bars. Yeah. You know what? You might, all you might see is the pit. All you might see is chains in the desert. All you might see is bars. But did you know what? God saw something very different from Joseph. When Joseph was seeing a pit, God was seeing a story of redemption. When Joseph was seeing a journey into chains, God was seeing a journey into influence and power beyond his wildest imagination. When Joseph was seeing bars, God was seeing his future of changing the history of his people and basically being the first one to save God's people from dying out. Joseph couldn't see it, but God saw it. But there's an interesting element to why, why I believe Joseph was in the pit and could see nothing else, but yet ended up as king. And I tell you, in every situation, Joseph still found a way to serve. That's what captures my imagination by Joseph. He, he must have had a prayer life. You can't do that journey and look your brothers in the eye and say, it's all right, what you intended for evil, God intended. You can't do that without prayer. You, you can't be betrayed and sold as a slave and then have injustice without prayer. And I reckon, I, I, I can't prove it with a passage, but I can prove it with results that he must have had a prayer life because in the jail he served. In Potiphar's house he served. Wherever he was, he served. In other words, he took what was a limiting factor and, and he had the God breath on it to take. And, and even though, like the disciples, they buried John, but Jesus backs it up and he serves. Joseph was in a horrible situation, yet he got the breath and the wind of the Holy Spirit on his life in such a space that wherever he found himself, he could serve. And did you know it was that service? It was ultimately serving the baker and the wine taster that sent him to the place of influence beyond what he could ever imagine. Imagine if Joseph had just decided to pray and given up on serving. Imagine if he'd given up on God instead because of what he could see or maybe what he couldn't see. And I don't know what you're looking at this morning. And, it, and honestly, I, I want to pray for some people. I want to give people an opportunity to respond and say yes to Jesus. But I felt so stirred in my spirit that circumstances that you may be looking at, they, they don't have to be a limit. They don't have to be a cap. They can be a launch pad. And you might feel like you might feel like the disciples burying John. But let me tell you, the loaves and the fishes is just around the corner. God's got breakthrough in your life, for your life. And those things that, that the devil would love to use or our own mind or our circumstances would love to push us down, God says, can launch us into something incredible. You know what? Maybe you're here this morning and I'm talking about 
a God that loves you, that has a plan that, that's with you in a prison or whatever. And you go, man, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a God that loved me. That had a, You said God has a plan for my life? Pretty terrible plan so far. Or maybe it's just an all right plan, but you didn't know God was, had his hand on it. Let me tell you, God has a great plan for your life. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son to die on a cross that you could find the life and the freedom and the plan of God for, for you to step into. God's intent is for good and blessing. I love the passage that Pastor James said, in, in sight of the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that we get drawn to. And this morning, wherever you're at, God has mercy for you. God has forgiveness. God has grace. God has love beyond what you can imagine. And, and if you're here this morning... Thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.